0: This is Mediation Station and your host, Greg Fenton. Each week we explore topics and ideas related to the experience of people with conflict and look to promote the profession of conflict resolvers. We are available to connect with at GREGF and 647-227-4734. Visit us at our Facebook page to like us and Facebook group page to become a member. Also, visit YouTube channels for both CHHA, 1610 AM, and Greg Fenton. Listen to podcasts of each radio show by visiting either of SoundCloud.com or iTunes podcasts under Mediation Station in the Arts area. We have a Twitter account, and it is at Fenton Mediation, so make sure to follow us. Our topic tonight is called Mindful Mediator Moments 2. So this is a series of conversations that took place at the Ontario Association for Family Mediation Conference. So listen in. This, uh, we're on uh, day two of OAFM. This is September 21st and we're here with Carrie Milton, and we're going to have a little conversation. So welcome, welcome Carrie. Hi. So how about uh, you share with uh, us about what would you like to see happen with the profession?
1: Um, living in Northern Ontario, I find that um, we don't have a lot of clients that we get on-site. Um, so, a lot of disputes that are, that are in the court being litigated could um, benefit from, you know, seeing a mediator on-site. So it would be nice to have an increase in that area. And I would also like to uh, see child protection mediation being offered on-site. Um, again, it may assist with the um,
0: <laughs> Things like that. Back-
1: and backlog in terms of um, child welfare cases.
0: So in the north, how far north are we talking in Ontario?
1: I reside in Sault Ste. Marie.
0: Do you find there's a different nature of the uh, how the court deals with matters of family?
1: Well, I've never practiced in a larger area, but I know um, from speaking to other mediators that they often can, are busier um, with on-site clients. And I've, you know, even Manitoulin Island, always back-to-back. So I think it's just getting it out there and that the, you know, the lawyers uh, recommending and uh, the judges, we have some supportive judges, absolutely, that do recommend that their clients come. It would just be nice to see if we had even more clients coming.
0: Yeah, that's one of the purposes of doing something like this, is to help educate and inform the public about the options that uh, they may not be aware of as to dealing with, especially with family matters.
1: Absolutely, especially um, if you've started a court case um, and you access on-site mediation services, it's free, and a lot of people don't, aren't aware of that. Um, so sometimes people can come in and it—it's they sort of know what they want, so rather than going through the court process, it you know it takes one session and boom, they're done.
0: So what do you uh, find are the most challenging situations that you feel clients experience?
1: Um, I have a lot of clients that come in that do not want to get independent legal advice, um, whether it's because of the cost. Um... Or just a lack of of knowledge or they think that they uh, they know exactly what they want Um, so it can be difficult if they come in without um, knowing what their rights and responsibilities are as well as their their financial piece um, in place so that can often cause a delay or um, I have to send them for independent legal advice if I feel that they're they're agreeing to something that
0: maybe they shouldn't be. What if they tend to say thank you but no thank you because, you know, you can suggest it and encourage them, yet the responsibility rests with them.
1: Well, and that's exactly it. Ultimately, it's their decision. Um, so we can we can go through the process and, um, you know, if whatever they decide, it's ultimately their agreement. And if that's what they want to do, then that's, I mean, it's not legally binding necessarily. So... Um, they can always bring the agreement to a lawyer after if they, um, after it's done if they feel that uh, maybe they've agreed to something they shouldn't have.
0: So what's the uh, ratio per se of self-represented litigants relative to people who have counsel?
1: Oh, I, I, I wouldn't know necessarily, but um, most of the clients that I see are self-rep.
0: Okay. How do you measure or identify how effective your mediation process is? Uh,
1: Well, it really depends. It's not always about, you know, coming to a full agreement. Um, Clients often um, even if they have to leave to get independent legal advice, they sometimes feel a better um, sense of being able to communicate with one another. Um, Sometimes they don't even need mediation um, moving forward, right, because they're sort of on the same page. They have a better understanding of of um, the issues and what each of them um, feels is important. Um, I focus a lot on the kids, so if they can come up with um, an agreement, at least in terms of of parenting time, so that the children can continue to have a relationship with both parents, um, that's, you know, that's important in my process uh, more so than even the financial piece and property.
0: Okay. What would you like to be able to do as a mediator that you currently do not do?
1: Well, I think there's always room for um, expanding your knowledge and skills. Um, I think if I had more time, it would be nice to be able to get out into the community to share, um, you know, the benefits of mediation to try to increase, especially our on-site. Uh, clients coming in who could really benefit, um,
0: like public education pieces.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, for, I mean, there's there's some out there that inform the lawyers and other community organizations, but it would, um, I think, it would be beneficial to be directly involved in that,
0: especially to get people to be more aware of their options prior to even entering into the system.
1: Right, and there's there's so many small communities in Northern Ontario that um, I- individuals and families are involved in court but don't necessarily know that this is an option.
0: Okay, anything else you want to add?
1: No, I think that's it for
2: today.
0: Thanks very much for your time. Hi, we're here with...
2: Gail Bruchy.
0: We're at the uh, second day of the OAFM conference on... Uh, what's the date? September 21st. That's yes, right. Thanks. Yeah, you know what? Brain cramps. Anyways, it's
2: been a long day, Greg. It's been a long day.
0: It's been a long decade,
2: and
0: yeah. it's still going.
2: It's still going. Not yeah. at
0: all. What would you like to see happen with the profession?
2: So the profession of mediation. I assume you're asking me.
0: Absolutely, that profession.
2: All right. Now what?
0: I'm not sure if we got that.
2: So basically, Greg, I was thinking about your question earlier, and I'm thinking what I'd like to see happening with us, um, with the whole mediation sector, is of course with the cases that have no condition and no restrictions and, uh, you know, minimum um, history of domestic violence, that they would be not necessarily mandated, but they would definitely be highly suggested to do the process of mediation prior starting a litigation therefore so in, instead of starting an application then we have maybe a judge or somebody at that level of uh, courts to support the parents to start the process of negotiation and communication now I know that mediation is a voluntary process totally you know aware of that but to have that incentive for the parents to reconnect uh, instead of going to litigation and battle I think that would be a very good idea
0: well I I appreciate what you're saying Mm -hmm. though if a judge is to get involved that means for me that People have entered the system, and part of this is to, you know, encourage them not to enter into the system. So, maybe to take what you're saying Mm -hmm. is that if people do want to go to court, that they must first attempt to resolve it outside of the court, community based approach of some form.
2: Yes, but without that, so I mean, before the first court appearance. Yeah, so they're still in, let's say, maybe they're still started the, the process. But prior getting that first court appearance and waiting two months, within these two months or three months, start the negotiation.
0: Or in fact, the first step to start court process is actually mm-hmm. get out of the court, do something out in the community, mm-hmm.
2: then hopefully
0: maximize the possibility of getting the decisions you need, which will then provide that you don't end up going through the court process.
2: Or if you do, then it's a very short stay. You go in, get your court order from all the work that you've done, the two of you, to come up with a plan because you are the expert. The parents are the expert of their life. They are the expert on the child's life. Take that expertise, put that as a court order, and we're moving forward. So instead of being 22 months, maybe you're two months.
0: Okay, so we'll try and maximize the opportunities for people to collaborate and wait create their opportunities Perfect. what are the most challenging situations that you feel clients experience
2: I find that that is a very charged question okay so this is the whole challenge is from the start the relationship breakdown the first start when you really realize okay my relationship has now ended to all the other end of the spectrum a code order so everything in between is, seems to be challenging. That's where I see, I see the blockage. I, I, I see my clients at times are stuck. They are definitely, you know, they, they feel their threat. They feel their worries. And I would say when the emotional takes over the rational in, uh, in the process.
0: So it becomes somewhat quite problematic where people don't see outside of self in order to consider and factor into the decision-making, the other person who's involved, as the co-parent in this case, with consideration of the best interests of the child.
2: Absolutely. And family uh, mediation, family litigation is so charged, is so charged, full of um, emotions. It is so passionate.
0: And what does passion mean to you?
2: Well, I mean it's like a you know passion. When you say passion, it's intense. It's like intense. Yeah, a lot of feelings. Lots of feelings. And
0: people can react rather than quote respond.
2: Right, but you know what? I you cannot respond when you are reacting. The brain does. I believe I'm
0: not a specialist. No, I you cannot
2: work that way.
0: Basically, yeah, That's I, right. I concur with you though, you know, a lot of passionate moments bring a lot of opportunity.
2: And it's a, that's, that would be the challenges, yes.
0: Okay, so what do you do when these type of situations happen?
2: Well, you know, just the, the behavior, it's a root. There's a root to the behavior and exploring those threats. Like here at this conference this week, it was uh, from um, Dr. Cheryl Picard. Picard, she, she painted a very clear picture of how to explore the threats I really enjoyed that because then you get to the root of the uh, you get to the root of the um, issues and well I,
0: and I believe that's that. an intention too uh-huh. it is a purpose to, to go there uh-huh. whereas there are other processes that are very more superficial uh-huh. they don't care to go that's not their intention or uh-huh. purpose and though You know, those of us who believe going deeper is better because we're looking to get more lasting and sustainable outcomes.
2: Well, that's right, because you also have now an emotional commitment because, first of all, you feel heard and you're working through what really the root of the problem. Therefore, when that is looked at and acknowledged, then you can move forward. And it changes, changes the way you think also in the way you react by even understanding what are your threats. If I understand the other party or the other parent's threat or how they're feeling and understanding the situation, then I can now understand my participation in those threats and, uh, you know, everything that goes on with that.
0: And likewise, they can also That's connect the with their own... And thus, also with yours, for example, if Absolutely. you were the other person to this matter.
2: Absolutely.
0: So, how do you measure or identify how effective your mediation process is?
2: Well, basically, as court base, you know, we have um, surveys. Um, we definitely, my clients, they let me know they're very vocal um, how helpful it is, and also for me, you know, it's different for every parent or every every parent and every parent their level of success. Every family is is independent and individuals, because for two people to meet in the same room and to actually want to participate in the process, that could be success. And then I could have two other parents that could be coming up with a whole memorandum of understanding of 13 pages and cover uh, everything on a spectrum, and that's their success. So we have to really take it case by case, and every parents and parent, so parents, a group, two parents, and a parent have their own level of success.
0: And what, do you also, though, consider your own perspective and your own contribution to quote what you would deem to be success mm-hmm. of a process
2: I don't think that I have my own because I had two parents just a couple of days ago that they're returning their third time from uh, justice uh, from a, a judge's uh, you know support and every time we're moving forward they are doing a little bit more work. That, for me, could be successful, but then, you know, for, uh, for another mediator, they might say it's not moving fast enough, or maybe they should be making more progress. But personally, I don't have a gauge of what's successful and not.
0: Well, you, though, as a practitioner,
2: okay. maybe I do, don't understand your
0: question. do provide some kind of input. You create a framework for the parties to create whatever they want from the process. So we do affect, from my perspective, how the process goes because the process can go with one mediator a certain way with the same two two parties, and you put those same two parties with another mediator, it might go a different pathway. True. So how do you see your contribution as part of contributing to my my,
2: pro, my my contribution is crucial i mean i have to facilitate guide i have to be attentive and i'm there not to judge and i'm there to really be neutral but also aware and be attentive to be able to facilitate Right. Therefore when they have blockage, okay, that's an example. They have a blockage, then I facilitate that open of the door, then we move through the door.
0: So you and like many of us, yes. We do make a difference we do, in terms absolutely. of how we do things.
2: Absolutely so I, you know, style matters also, right? Different styles for different clients. Right? You can yeah. be you know, there's different styles that will work with different people.
0: Yes. So self-awareness, I think, is the foundation. What would you like to see or be able to do as a mediator that you currently do not do?
2: Well, only with future training. That's all I can answer that question. I was reading that question, and I think by uh, getting my uh, elder mediation uh, certification and uh, certificate, and getting finishing my child protection, then I will be able to do more diverse mediation.
0: What about independent stuff? Oh, I
2: already do that. So, is
0: there anything within that world that you don't currently do that you would like to adapt, incorporate, or practice?
2: Well, I would. I'm very curious about corporate corporate mediation and definitely branching off on a private, uh, you know, a training, training companies to work together and uh, to move forward together and to, uh, you know, for productive dispute resolution skill.
0: Okay. I really appreciate our conversation.
2: Thank you, Greg, for taking the time with me.
0: Thanks for sharing. We're back again today. Yes, this is cam level. All right. So we're here on uh, Friday, September 21st at the OAFM conference. we got some different questions today. What would you like to see happen with the profession? I would love all the different associations to merge with
3: each other and stand for the profession and get it recognized as a profession. Do you know right now, Ontario Association Collaborative prof- Professionals, have removed mediation as a, a recognized profession. Mediation not recognized
0: profession for them. And what's your understanding as to why that's happened?
3: Well, so they, they 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 call it family professional, like a psychiatrist and all that's fine. Lawyer is fine. Accountant is fine because they are C A CA and all that. But they don't recognize A C F M or anything else like that as a professional designation. Okay. Because we don't have my thinking is all all those should come together and stand behind. Because there is this huge push in the government these days. To recognize mediation and and you know its, it's value into the, to the public, yeah, the mediators are not recognized. Family mediators are not recognized as a profession. Believe it or not, right? It's a very strange situation that's happening.
0: Though that's by them, not necessarily obviously within the profession, because within the profession it's recognized.
3: Well, you know, we are recognizing it fine, but the question is, is, there's another association which is called Collaborative Professionals
0: Association, right? Right.
3: And, and yet they are the ones who are not are not recognizing mediators. Family mediators as professionals.
0: Maybe we need mediation amongst us.
3: <laughs> something like that, right? <laughs> yeah, right. But thats that, that sort our of thing. Is that everybody comes together and stands with one voice, then maybe you have something can be done about this.
0: Well, the stronger, united, a uh, stronger presence and ability to create positive change. Yeah, Absolutely. So, what are the most challenging situations that you feel clients experience?
3: Uh, I find that when they are when they come in. They're, they're confused at that time. They don't understand the process, of what they need to do. Uh, then I find that they're not able to hear each other. Okay, because there's so much uh, involved in with what's happening. What's the confusion? They can't hear each other.
0: So a lo- lot's gone on prior to yes, exactly. uh, starting into the process. Right. That's become a barrier for yes. them to...
3: And what that creates, third part, is that they become positionalized. They are, they are so much in, 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 in s- s- situated in their own position, they, they, they find it very difficult to move. And so they can't hear each other, they can't, they, there's so much police now, they can't keep they an can't agreement
0: uh, together. It seems like they've built up this whole sense of negativity about the other person. Absolutely. And so that's become the barrier for them to open up to consider other possibilities.
3: Yes, you got it. Yes.
0: So what do you do when these type of situations happen?
3: So what I, what I do is, one of the things I try to do from the perspective of confusion, I I run something called co-reconciliation progressive mediation. A lot of my clients end up reconciling,
0: right? You mean back into the relationship that was sort of fractured or or impacted in a negative way?
3: Yeah. uh, I don't do do marriage counseling. I send them to marriage counseling, however, what I have done is I have have designed my practice which gives them time to think as well as, you know, reflect on what they're doing. Give, so give them ample time for doing that. So I find that usually works. So for example, at the beginning of the one of the thing I try to do, I give them 30 minutes free between each meeting. So they have all the confusion they have, they can ask me questions.
0: Okay. So prior to, so when you commence bringing people together, yes. you provide a space or an ability for them to connect with you, ask certain questions
3: yeah, so, so what happens initially, I will ask them if they are able to come together, if they can communicate with each other, so there is a assessment I do. Uh, you know, if there is a risk, there is a violence happen, then that's not, that's not apply to them. But most people are able to do this. If they will to talk to each other, I will say, come on over, do no charge. Let's just talk. It's a community service, right? And they sit with me for an hour, an hour and a half, we have communication. When they come to me, they have not talked together for months, or sometimes years before they come to me. Okay? And now we have a conversation. Okay. So, uh, would you like to give me an example?
0: Sure, absolutely.
3: So, for example, there was a the case, and I'm not giving you exact names or any details. No, no identifiable stuff. No, no. Okay. So basically, uh, here one, one person calls me, says, I need to, please, can, can you help us do separation, right? And I, I asked them, are you able to talk to each other? She said, yeah, sure. So she said, I said, come on over, right? Now think about it. If she had gone to a lawyer, lawyer would have said, yes, please come on in. And then they would have very nicely asked them other questions. Send a letter to the husband. Say, "Hey, your wife came to us to uh, get representation. Would you please give us this information as well? As get yourself a lawyer."
0: And also, if you don't give us that, there will be consequences.
3: That's right. And then you know, and, and of course, she's the other person goes afraid. They go to their lawyers, and then pop, pop, pop.
0: It escalates, absolutely. right? And deteriorates.
3: Absolutely. So what a Buddha says, "Come on over, no cost. Just let's just talk." So she comes over and she said, one of the questions I say, What? tell me what happened. So she asked him, he's the one who left. He said, well, we were fighting. Uh, I couldn't take it anymore, so I left. And after a few hours, when I come back, she changed the lock on me. And she said, of course I changed my lock. I was scared. You were telling, calling me all kind of names. And I'm scared. And that's how they talk. And what do I say to them? They're good officials. They have their work, mediation, uh, counseling available. I said, why don't you go get a counseling? I'm still available. Right, they can never hear from them, and that was that.
0: Okay, all right, okay.
3: So that that's that the kind of thing you do with the poor reconciliation situation. Right? You start to work with it, take the confusion out, get them to listen, talk to each other. I
0: mean, the more information people have, the better informed they are, the better the decisions they can make.
3: sometimes they also have whatever, however they started, they got to the point where they can't hear each other. If we can somehow get a conversation going again, that's all they need. So many times, so that's all they need, so that they just talk to each other, yeah. and that helps them.
0: Yeah. How do you measure identify how effective your mediation process is? Yeah.
3: So basically, uh, when, they, when they say to me at the end, what I'm looking at is, can they communicate with each other? Can they problem solve from here on their differences? And the best thing that happens at the end when they say, well, we could have done it all by ourselves. We don't need to pay all, all this money. I'm so happy when that happens. Because that means now they've reached such a time where they can start talking to each other. Yes.
0: And they'll make that conscious effort to try to do so. That's right. So how would you like to be able to do, uh, what would you be able to like to do as a mediator that you currently do not do?
3: Yeah, one thing I want to do, I want to do out- outreach. There is a very big misunderstanding about what mediation is. The people who are coming from other cultures, talking to the multicultural society now. There are people coming from other cultures where mediation means done by police or judges or lawyers. I've had a situation in where somebody called me, and she said I would like to do mediation, and I asked them to come in. They, they were coming in, but three days ago she call, afterwards called me back. Yeah. She said my in-laws came meet me up. Why did you call into a lawyer? He said I didn't call a lawyer. I called I called a mediator. Right. So there's such a big misunderstanding. I want to go, go in the community, and I would love people to call me, and I would love to, no cost. Just come on and explain to them what mediation is all about. A lot of public education. Yes, a lot of, and that's what you're doing very good. Yes, thank sir. Thank you very
0: much for being here. And thank you, too, for uh, sharing it in your camp. Thanks. Okay. Okay, welcome. We've uh, got Mary here. How are you doing today, Mary?
4: Oh, I'm doing great, thank you.
0: Thanks for dropping by to visit to have a little conversation. So there's some uh, questions. Today uh, is September 21st. We're at the OAFM conference. And so what would you like to see happen with the profession?
4: One of the things that I uh, would like to see is increased funding for the uh, court-based services. My work, uh, a lot of my family work is out of the court-based uh, on-site system and off-site, but the funding uh, increase I think could provide a lot more opportunities for uh, more people to become aware of the programs that are available through the ministry. Another thing I was looking at was or thinking about was providing lawyers and judges that we work with regularly with an increased understanding of what our process is. So if there's a way that somehow somebody could, on a regular basis, get those that we work with, judges, lawyers, uh, to sit down uh, in a space and just gain a, a larger understanding of what our work is, that would be helpful.
0: So something like uh, possibly a lunch and learn, where you got together some professionals like you've talked about and educated them?
4: Yeah, that would be an idea, just bring that information, inform them of what, are, what we do behind that door in mediation prior to the client going in front of the judge.
0: Okay. What are the most challenging situations that you feel clients experience?
4: often come to mediation, especially on-site with the court process, and they just have a real lack of understanding of what that process is, which in turn, they're fearful, they're scared, they're stressed out, they're not able to really make some real solid decisions when they're operating under that fear, that sort of stress of the courthouse, and also just an awareness of what the laws and the rights they have are.
0: So you believe, and from what I'm hearing, is that there's a direct link between people making informed decisions and their expectations with regard to the decisions, etc.
4: Exactly. Exactly. The more information they can have going in, the background that they can bring to the table when they are mediating, um, is helpful for them.
0: What do you do when these type of situations happen, though?
4: That's a good question. Our timeline is so limited with these clients that um, all we can do is... is express to them that we strongly suggest speak to the uh, legal counsel guidance that's on site that day, Uh, check in with duty counsel, make an appointment with the advice lawyers on a different day when they're available for those general questions.
0: Do you find that people are open to listening to what you're suggesting or encouraging them to do?
4: Typically they are, but very often they're in such an immediate sort of need-it-done-now-today mentality that we don't really know if they do do that. We have no way of following that up.
0: Yeah, and the realization that if they get this kind of information, they can make more concrete and solid decisions that may have more sustainability.
4: Exactly. The the idea that if they walk away from the mediation process believing what they've decided is fair and reasonable based on having information, then it's a solid uh, agreement. The resolution should stick.
0: Yeah, there's a higher probability that it'll be followed through with
4: exactly exactly
0: so how, how do you measure or identify how effective your mediation process is
4: well as a mediator what I do is a lot of self-reflection so often after I have a day of sort of mediation at the courthouse or even private practice mediations I'll sit down and review it in a pretty uh, a template that I use it does a self-reflection of, of what I saw, what I felt, and how I thought it went, those sorts of things, what tripped me up or what I could have done better. I do that regularly, so I think that's really important in any profession to do that. And also when i you get a sense that the um, clients themselves have expressed that its they feel that they can live with their agreement, then um, you feel that you've been effective.
0: So you have a measurement sort of to say from self, you have a way of being aware and how that meant whatever happened for you with regard to your contribution as the facilitator of that process and also touching base with the parties to see how they feel from the process.
4: Exactly, exactly. And you can get that immediate feedback um, at the end of your your time that you've spent with the parties.
0: So what would you like to be able to do as a mediator that you currently do not do?
4: One of the things I would like to do is... Um, be able, as I I mentioned a little earlier, is have have an opportunity to interact with the legal partners we work with, those in the courthouse, the duty counsel lawyers, the advice lawyers, the judges themselves, in a setting that's not under the sort of tense tense moments of a mediation in a courthouse, just trying to share what we do and um, get an understanding for each, each of our roles in that process. Do
0: you find that the courthouse presents sort of a barrier to many people uh, once to even enter into the system, and then even once they do enter, it becomes based a lot of their expectations, which may be misinformed?
4: I would agree, yeah. It's... Um, if you just you don't know what you don't know, and a lot of people that come into the court system just don't know what they don't know, so therefore they don't know what to ask about. So they're almost um, running blind the day that we see them. So we're in, our job is not to really educate them in the law, but um, lawyers and duty counsel and advice lawyers are there for that. But it's a scary process when they're they really don't have as much information as they need.
0: Right, which draws back to one of our earlier pieces that. When people have better information, they're better informed, they'll make different decisions than when, when they had that information provided for them.
4: Exactly. And they'll feel a little more firm footed or more solid in their decisions when they walk away.
0: Right, which creates more sustainable outcomes and exactly. decision making, which actually helps complement the uh, health of the relationship amongst. For example, the co-parents.
4: Exactly. Exactly. And who benefits the most? The children of those parents who are making those decisions for.
0: Right. And this is ultimately what that's all about. I, you know, We all believe in some form, right?
4: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Thanks very much. Anything else you want to add?
4: Um, no. I think that's good. Thank you for uh, letting me talk with you today.
0: Thanks for sharing. Okay. Cool. Hey, uh, we're here with...
5: Nicole Stewart Kamanga.
0: Thank you very much for dropping by the visit and uh, having a conversation on uh, day two, September 21st of the OAFM conference. What would you like to see happen with the profession?
5: Uh, Thanks for having me, Greg. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, With respect to the profession, I'm actually quite hopeful. Um, The profession is growing. We're not where we were, but what I would like to see is uh, just increased public awareness Although many people do know about mediation, there are still large parts of the population that aren't aware of the services, even that there are services at court, that they can have mediation at reduced rates through several of the uh, service providers throughout Ontario. So I would like to see increased public awareness and also some more outreach into populations that may not uh, be as well served. As others, so maybe more remote communities, rural communities, there's conflict everywhere, so uh, being able to service those populations uh, more effectively is what I would like to see.
0: Yeah, Especially from my experience with cultures yes. that may not necessarily gravitate to, let's just say, our form of justice system here.
5: Ab- absolutely, absolutely, and then also just some more, perhaps some more diversity in the mediation community itself, so that more diverse populations can feel more comfortable to come to mediation.
0: Absolutely. What are the most challenging situations that you feel clients experience?
5: One challenging situation, I guess, is that sometimes people just aren't aware of what mediation is. They may have a general idea. They might have read something on the internet, or maybe they they might know someone who might have come through mediation, but they're not quite in terms of what it is, what it entails, what the mediator's role is. The mediator's not there to make any judgments. The mediator is an independent third party. So just around explaining the process to people and ensuring that they're aware of uh, what they're getting into. Also, particularly in cases of domestic violence, sometimes people are not aware that mediation can, in some situations, depending on safety, of course. Safety is primary, may still be able to engage in mediation, so that's one, a couple of other, couple of issues, and then sometimes people just reach an impasse in mediation, they just, they're just stuck, and they don't know how to move forward, and so that's where, in terms of dealing with that type of a situation, where our skills as mediators come into play
0: to help people uh, see some light from situations that uh, may tend to be quite dark, if you want to call it, for symbolism?
5: Yes, absolutely. To help them to uh, perhaps see the other person's point of view, perhaps to see where that person may be coming from, and also for people as well to maybe even have a better understanding of what uh, what they hold as valuable to them, When they feel that those values are being threatened sometimes people then go into defense mode or attack mode and communication breaks down at that point and sometimes that leads to impasse or people being stuck so we help you know part of our role is and we're talking about that today in in uh at the conference at the oafm conference around insight mediation helping people gain that insight and helping them to unblock and communicate and move forward
0: yeah so people can feel that their lived experiences, their feelings with regard to those, are not seen as threats with regard to uh, other people, and it it causes people to feel, okay, I'm going to shut down, or I'm not going to share or open up.
5: Yes, yeah, absolutely. When we feel threatened, we go into a defense mode, we can go into an attack mode, and neither is is helpful for moving forward. That's when people get stuck, and... and, uh, so that's our role. It's it's difficult work, but when uh, people are able to become a little bit more unstuck, it can be magical and transformative.
0: All right. Okay. So what do you do when these types of situations happen?
5: Yeah, I just think you know that's when we put on our media. You know, that's when we, the hard work begins. When we when we see that type of conflict, when people perhaps. Uh, Emotions are raised during the mediation, voices are raised, you know, that's when we have to be alert in terms of not necessarily shutting that down, but becoming aware that okay, this is a sensitive point. Someone is feeling that something that they value may be at risk, and this is where we have to go in gently, but with uh, knowledge in terms of helping to guide that person in terms of what is it that. They are feeling. What's feeling? Why are they feeling threatened? And helping the other person understand uh, where that where that person is coming from, and making and just facilitating their conversation and facilitating communication and understanding. That's where you know there are many philosophies of mediation, and then one that we're discussing uh, over the last couple of days has been inset mediation which I uh, personally have uh, did not know as much about but which I found to be quite illuminating and uh, quite
0: quite insightful
5: quite insightful and what I'm going to hopefully incorporate in my mediation practice so yeah
0: so how do you measure or identify how effective your mediation process is
5: you know I try to do my own self-evaluation collective practice going over the process during the mediation and also after the mediation. I should probably do it a bit more, but thinking about, okay, this is how I handle this particular situation. Was there another way to do it? Sometimes I will just you know get feedback from uh, colleagues. And then if I can, I would also ask the client, perhaps after the process, you know, was there anything that I could have done to have improved your experience? Is there anything that perhaps that you might not have understood so I try and check in with the clients during the process and 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 also self reflect and then also speak with with colleagues and uh, I'm part of a mediation group in the West End in Oakville which is very helpful around that group of practitioners that get together a few times over the year and we just
0: you know share stories perspectives and then look for feedback or input on that
5: yes absolutely and also discuss new uh, innovations or techniques that we've become aware of so after this conference I will probably go back and just speak to my with my colleagues around about mediation so just sharing resources is very helpful.
0: What would you like to be able to do as a mediator that you currently do not do you know opening yourself up to as you mentioned some new strategies or techniques I mean is there something concrete or tangible?
5: Uh, You know I probably will start to incorporate some of the insight mediation techniques that I learned over the course of this conference into my practice. I have also uh, just come out of a seminar on forgiveness and how important that is, particularly for couples who are separating, because it can be, f- be freeing for to help people to move forward. Just for me to, to um, uh, perhaps do a little bit more study in those areas and incorporate a little bit more of that in uh, in my practice with clients.
0: So to get more consideration to provide that the parties, for one, get to somewhat be able to walk in some form in the shoes of the other person or each other?
5: It, you know, it's not always possible, and no. maybe it's not always necessary because people are there to get uh, certain things done, you know, what's going to happen with the kids, what's happening with the property and support and things like that, but even to introduce that concept at some point where appropriate to maybe people when they go home, maybe they can start to think a little bit about forgiveness because sometimes it doesn't necessarily let that other person off the hook, but as we discussed today in the seminar, it lets you off the hook in terms of freeing you from that previous traumas that you can kind of move forward with with your life
0: right it could be that you know you feel this way about whatever happened and the other person could care less Exactly. though the burden is how you feel for yourself
5: yes and you are stuck sometimes forgiveness allows you to move forward and you know just move forward in life and live so that's the best gift especially
0: within family dynamics because a lot of times they involve children And so that intimate relationship of the adults is no longer, when people transition from being together to no longer, though they're going to continue and remain for a lifelong time as co-parents. As
5: as co-parents, absolutely. And when someone is freed, it also obviously will impact their parenting and their ability to help their children move forward as well. So, yeah, it's important.
0: It's all related to the quality of... uh, The parenting and the lived experiences and the future of the child benefiting from both parents if that's as much possible. Absolutely. Anything further you want to just add? Uh, I
5: just want to thank you for your work and um, for bringing mediation, uh, increasing public awareness of mediation. So thank you. And thanks for the opportunity.
0: Thanks for sharing. Appreciate it, Nicole. Welcome. We have here... Trish Thomas. All right. So we're at the uh, second day of the uh, OAFM conference on September 21st. So let's start with what would you like to see happen with the profession?
6: Our audience is you know, members of the public, and I think that there could be more public awareness of mediation and why it's a good first step. I think uh, oftentimes when people want to separate, they automatically run to the court and file a court application. Mediation is always an excellent first step for a number of reasons.
0: And what what do you see or are the most challenging situations that you feel clients experience?
6: Well, there's a couple of things. One of them is I think that they're not really that aware of the process or how much it would cost or why it's uh, an excellent first step before going to court or starting litigation. One of the things that I think um, is very challenging for them is that oftentimes one of the parties is ready to separate, whereas the other one isn't, and there's a lot of emotion around that. And the person who has decided to separate is usually much further along in the thought process and planning process and hasn't necessarily shared that with the other person. So I find that uh, a common thing that comes up.
0: Do you think there's any contribution we've made to why people are not as informed about the process?
6: Well, I think that there's an increasing awareness of it because there's court-connected mediation services, but the problem with that is that people have to walk in the court building and I think just doing that um, to access those services is you know create sort of an adversarial foundation for resolving any issues there's always that dark cloud of court hovering over uh, whereas if they went to mediation prior to walking through the court doors and they were made aware of those opportunities I think that there would be a lot more agreements and a lot more better co-parenting relationships.
0: Yeah, especially that could sustain themselves uh-huh. on an ongoing basis because you know that relationship, as intimates is over, well, the relationship as parents, if there are children, will be a lifelong thing.
6: Uh-huh. Absolutely.
0: So what do you do when these types of situations of challenge happen?
6: Uh, one of the things that I always do is if one, one of the parties tells me that they would like to do whatever is necessary to stay together, I always canvass with with each of them individually and together whether they would consider going to uh, family counseling or couples counseling. And sometimes pride um, is a barrier for them to actually discuss it. And if a third party such as a mediator suggests it, sometimes they're willing to give that a try. If they're past that point where they're, they're willing to go to counseling, then I try and speak to the person that's further ahead in the process just to make them aware of the fact that there needs to be some compassion in the process and that they need to be a little bit patient and that we take things a little more slowly in mediation so that we don't rush through and make emotional decisions.
0: Right, so we can adapt the process for the people going through their own lived experience their own way.
6: Yes, I like the way you phrase that. Exactly.
0: How do you measure or identify how effective your mediation process is?
6: I think it's so difficult for two people that aren't getting along to sit at the same table and actually have an open conversation about things. I I consider that in itself a success. If they're willing to at least put their differences aside or their discomfort aside to sit down and talk through it, I consider that a successful mediation. I believe that in mediation, every mediation that I've done, communication is broken down. So if you can get that conversation going, I consider that to be a success. And the bigger success is when they can come to an agreement and then you have a sense that they can continue those open communication after mediation is over and the agreement is finalized.
0: Do you challenge yourself in some way with regard to the kind of process you provide how it is effective or not?
6: Well, every mediation is different and presents different challenges. And I always try and get to the root of the problem and have a sense of how I can help that family in creating harmony or better understanding, better communication. So yes, I do challenge myself, but I wouldn't say that the challenges that I I try and meet are the same with every mediation.
0: Yeah, well of course they're individual because the individuals who participate in the process Uh are unique on their own. We adapt accordingly. Uh So what would you like to be able to do as a mediator that you currently do not do?
6: I would like to provide parenting plans to anyone in Ontario that's interested, and I know that there's rural communities and and underserved populations to provide a mechanism such as video conferencing or periodic visits to certain regions to, to offer that, to offer training to other mediators, because I believe parenting plans is really the very first step and i think that when people start worrying about who's going to have the children and the decision making and so forth i think that heightens anxiety and i think if that could be resolved right off the bat i think it would help a lot of children and it would settle down the emotion so that the the parents can move forward and figure out the logistics of residency and child support and all the other things that go along with separation and divorce
0: yes i mean part of what We've been talking about is trying to make the option of mediation available, accessible for people. So you you're going out, you're, you're suggesting going out to the community where the community is. And as you earlier stated too, not to go where the system is seen as the default per se for dealing with people's relational issues. So I, you know, how about a mediator mobile unit <laughs> that just travels around? And they say, hey, <laughs> come on down. It's like like that thing with the, uh, uh, the ice cream truck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that, and that, that tune, that particular tune. Oh, hey, yeah. look, there's the mediator unit. Let's go and resolve our conflicts.
6: <laughs> That's a great idea.
0: <laughs> so you want to be the first hire? <laughs>
6: yeah, I'm thinking more like, uh, uh, we've heard of helicopter parenting. How about helicopter <laughs> mediators
3: or drones,
0: <laughs> drones. <laughs> now it's drones
6: parachuting it.
0: yeah, in. yeah drop in anything further you wanna no. add to uh, our conversation
6: I would like just to say that I really admire the good work that you do getting the word out about mediation and and for your wisdom and transformative style yourself in, in mediation
0: appreciate your your sharing with mm-hmm. us today You're welcome. okay so I want to uh, just Say that uh, tonight's show is the second of two, uh, with regard to conversations with uh, family mediators from the conference that took place in September 2018, uh, from the Ontario Association for Family Mediation. Want to thank very much the executive director of OAFM, in short, Marianne Popescu, for providing the opportunity of visiting at the conference and uh, making the individuals, the attendees. Uh, Contribute to the conversation and further inform and educate the public with regard to family mediation and just in general mediation overall. So you've been listening to Mediation Station on CHHA 1610 AM. Thanks very much.